Hey everybody, welcome to the Wicked Ones podcast. This is Tara. And this is Jen. How are you doing this week? Fabulous, I think. How are you? You think? I think. I'm just gonna, you know, what do they say if we like... Just keep saying it and saying yeah. it and saying Say it. it with What's a smile. Word? I can't think of it. Manifest. I'm gonna manifest my my fabulousness. So that's what I'm gonna do. Nice. I love it. Nice. I'm I'm actually doing really good. I our house is super merry and cheerful right now, and I love it. I mean, every morning now that since we've only had the house decorated for a couple of days, but every morning Chase comes running down the stairs and goes, "I love Christmas time," and he like dances around looking at all the decorations. It just makes him happy. It makes oh, it makes us all happy. That's and, Nice. Yeah, yeah so. we have our stuff up. That makes it feel cozy. It does. Yeah. And then by the time Christmas is over, I'm like, get this stuff out of here. I can't handle all the clutter. <laughs> it's so funny because I'm like looking around and I told Billy the other day, I wish we could keep the shelf all year. This is so, it makes me so happy. But talk to me in January yeah, and no. I'll probably be like, Actually, yeah, I'm done looking at it. Yeah. But I get it. Yeah. So it's just the season, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, super exciting. And we hope that. One day we'll be able to see our family, so we're going to, like I said, think positive, and hopefully we can yeah. see people over Christmas. I really hope so. I really hope so. It was it was a different Thanksgiving for us, that's for sure, but um, I think we, we left you all off when we were still deciding, and we uh, we didn't see our family, and it was... My brother didn't come. That was a sad day. Yeah. Yeah, we were bombed. We did FaceTime, which everyone appreciated. And this was actually the first year I've ever cooked a holiday meal. So that was kind of interesting. Billy deep fried a turkey and Ava and I took care of most of the sides. And it was kind of nice, actually. We We usually host a ton of people. Yeah, you do. We never do. We always go see family and they always have it covered. And they won't even let me bring a thing because we travel. So usually I just kind of help with what they have. But this was crazy. Just getting everything. And it turned out great. Everything was wonderful. And... It turned out delicious, and it was kind of, we created our own new memory this year, which was, was fine. It was fine. Yeah. yeah. I think that turned out to be a good thing for most people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, we did discover a new show. Ooh, which Steve's one? Steve's parents. Well, it's the same one your dad told oh. us to watch, and Steve's dad told us to watch Yellowstone, which is amazing. Mm, it's on um, the list. Yeah? You like it so far? Yeah. You know, it's kind of. Kevin Costner is like this cowboy figure, so it's very cowboy and Indian, which is not my style. Uh, but it's got just enough like drama, and their family is crazy enough to make me think my family feels normal. So, <laughs> yeah, it sucks. Me. That's always good. Yeah, it's good. It's good. If you, it's definitely not kid friendly, not mm-hmm. even in the slightest. Yeah, but I'm glad we watched it. Good. Oh, that's nice. So, Maybe that'll be our new show. We we're only on episode on. three, and we'll probably follow up, you guys. You'll probably hear me two years from now talking about how we finally finished Yellowstone. Oh, so yeah. we're terrible at I'm still trying to finish How to Make a Murder. I am. I only allow myself to watch it when I run, so I don't get to see it very often. But now I'm hooked. Like I said, I think Frank's dead. <gasps> I know. You said that to me yesterday. He went looking for Laurel, and he got caught by <sighs> Laurel's brother. And he would I not, he would so not bad. help him, and it did not look good where I left off. Okay. So I really wanted to run today before we recorded, so I could right. find out what's going on. <laughs> you gotta, but I ran out of time. So you gotta fill me in. I'm still like posted. way behind. I think I'm only on like season three, the beginning. It's I don't know what season it is. I don't even look, you know, because you just yeah, wait yeah, from yeah. where you left keep off. Keep going, keep going. Oh, I do have to share a funny, a funny little story for you. You'll appreciate this. I swear, I'm turning into my mom. 
this is something she would do if she knew technology because you know she's just she does these hilarious little things all the time we're just I love mom we love you I know you're you're gonna listen to this because you you're super supportive (laughs) I'm not making fun of you I'm just saying you're just you're just fun and you do all these fun little things and we just we love it we you entertain us but um so Ava wanted to color the other day and she was like oh I want to color and I really want Chase to color with me and it's hard pressed to get him to sit down and actually color, but she would do it for hours. So she's looking for a certain, a certain picture. So I printed it out for her. And then I said, oh, I'll find something for Chase. So I was looking for like a Christmas Fortnite coloring book, like page or something. And it, they really couldn't find anything. So then I, I was like, Oh, the Grinch. Perfect. The Grinch will be, he loves the Grinch. I'll find something simple. So most of the pictures I was scrolling through were like, just a lot of coloring, you know, like sleds and people and townspeople and stuff. And it was kind of grainy. And then I came across this one that was just like, him in a wreath was just his face. And I'm like, oh, it's perfect. It's super simple. I love it. So I, I hit print. I'm like, Abe, grab it off the printer. You guys go color. I'm going to start editing because that was kind of my time to sit and do my thing. So apparently I didn't take a close look at oh, what I had printed see, like out. flipping people off or something? Oh my gosh. So Ava comes back and she goes, mom, I don't, I don't know, but I'm pretty sure this is not appropriate for Chase to color. And I look at it and it's the Grinch coming out of this wreath and his finger, his middle finger is like five inches high on this page with a bow on it. He's flipping people off. Yeah, I imagine. I I totally imagine that. It was an adult coloring page. I was like, ah. Sorry. Just black out his hand. Yeah. Fine. She's like, it's a good thing you didn't, you know. Take a picture and send it to anybody after we were done coloring. I'm like, oh god, that would have been the best. That would have been the best. Like I posted on Facebook. Look at the kids oh, color. Oh my gosh, everyone like starts questioning. She's <laughs> lost it. So please don't print out adult coloring pages for your children this year. Or do take a look. <laughs> or do <laughs> or do. It could make things very interesting. We need a little more interesting in our lives. So yeah, yeah that's fun. But I can't wait to hear your story. So I'm super excited about my story. I'm usually excited about my story, but I'm really excited about this one. Uh, So this month, we're kind of going to do holiday crimes. I guess that's probably not a big shocker. We're not super creative at that point. Uh, But it's any type of holiday crime, right? It doesn't necessarily be like murder. But it's kind of fun to have like a theme, or not really a theme, I guess, but like a direction to go when we're doing the the researching. Or you could never, I would have one. We'd never I would spend one million hours trying, like, oh, should I do this one? Oh, should I do this one? So it's nice to have a little bit of Mm -hmm. guidance. So today I'm going to tell you about the lowest... Elis Murder House. Have you ever heard of it? I have not. Okay, so this is one of, like, the craziest stories of all L.A. history. Okay. Uh, I have never heard about the story, so when I came across it, I was, of course, completely sucked in because the story is twofold. Like, Ooh, it's kind of got two parts to yeah. it. It all begins with this super smart and successful guy, Dr. Harold Perelson. And when I say smart, I mean brilliant. So... Some of the things you probably find on his resume. He was a well-known surgeon who specialized in cardiothoracics and allergies. Uh, He gained a successful patent for a new type of syringe. He had written one of the most respected clinical reports of the time, the electrocardiogram and familiar periodic paralysis, which was featured in the magazine American Heart Journal in 1949. Of course, you know I'm a geek for all these things. Yeah. Uh, he was a well-respected keynote speaker in the in medical conferences all around the country. He was an assistant head of cardiology for the School of Medicine at USC. 
He was on the surgical teams of cardiology at Los Angeles County General, Cedars of Lebanon Hospital, and the Santa Fe Hospital of Los Angeles. Wow, that's impressive. Yeah. Very impressive. By all accounts on paper, it was storybook. Wealth, fame, success. But we all know sometimes Mm -hmm. that's just not enough. Right. Wow. Okay. As usual, I'm going to start from the beginning. I'm going to tell you about the making of Harold and his success and ultimately his demise. So Harold was born on February 1st, 1909 in New York to parents Henry and Molly Perelson, who were part of the 13.5 million immigrants who left Eastern Europe in search for their version of the American dream. Yeah, okay. Okay, so Harold grew up as the oldest of four children in Queens, New York. Early on, he was discovered to be gifted and having an entrepreneurial spirit. He was sent to medical school. And as we know, second generation immigrants at this time were kind of thrust into roles in like serious careers. Mm-hmm. So the parents had sacrificed a bunch oh, when yeah. they came over. Yeah. They were willing to sell their souls to make sure that their the next generation was going to have a better life. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So that's exactly kind of where he felt he fell into place. So after uh, medical school, New York was kind of a tough place for immigrants, being a large population there. He decided to move to Southern California, and he took a job at the Inglewood Physician's Office. He had continued success as he published papers that I told you about Mm -hmm. in the field of neurology, and he became a professor at the USC School of Medicine. Harold was doing extremely well. He married Lillian Silver from Cuyahoga Falls, Ohio, also a second-generation immigrant. Mm-hmm. The two went on to have three children, Judy, Debbie, and Joel. And with Harold's abundant success, they decided they were going to start shopping for their dream home. Okay. And they started shopping in the hills of LA. And with a price tag of $60,000, they found their dream home in the Los Feliz neighborhood. So today, that would be about $660,000. Okay. I was wondering. For yeah. The so, time. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm glad you answered that question. <laughs> I'm like, I have mm-hmm. to calculate. <laughs> so a little bit about the home. It was located at 2475 Glendower Place. It's a Spanish revival style home that was originally designed in 1925 for Harry Schumacher by architect Harry Ooh. Weiner. Ooh, okay. Right, yeah. I want to see pictures. Oh, I have lots of pictures. I have lots of good stuff for you. I love houses. (laughs) After Schumacher died, the house was sold on December 6th, 1932. Remember this date? Okay. The house was then occupied by Frederick Zelnick, a producer-director of German silent cinema who fled London in 1933 when Hitler took power. So the house has a little bit of history. Yeah. He produced movies in L.A. and lived in the home until he died in 1950. Okay. So now enter Harold and his family. Okay. The Perelson family. They purchased the home in the 1950s, and the listing read as a delightful 12-room home with terraced lawns, artistic gardens, and a magnificent view. The spacious tiled entry hall and stairway led to a charming living room, a glass conservatory, dining room, den, breakfast, and kitchen. Upstairs on the second floor had four master bedrooms, three baths. Four. Wow. While the third floor boasted a bar and a ballroom. That sounds amazing. There were staff quarters, too, though the Perelson's only um, help was a teenage babysitter who lived across the street. 
Sherry Lewis. So they didn't actually have any help, but they did have staff mm-hmm. quarters. Who needs a ballroom? Can I ask? No. Does this sound <laughs> like, amazing? It sounds amazing. I want to see cool. it. I mean, it doesn't sound like something that I would go for, obviously, but it just, I want to see it anyway. Yeah. Cool. It sounds really nice. Yeah, right? it does. So, in an article on medium.com, Jeff Mayash interviews the Perelson babysitter, Sherry Lewis, who had grown up in the cottage directly opposite the Perelson family. And she was actually 14 at the time of the event that I'll later describe. Mm-hmm. She currently resides in Beverly Hills and has a successful dental practice. And when Mayesh asked her uh, if she saw any hint of violence in the doctor, she said there wasn't anything strange or bizarre. He is a quite mild-mannered man, and he gave good injections. Oh. So, (laughs) sounds creepy, right? Yeah. Um, So the injections that, that Sherry refers to is that Dr. Harold Perelson was also known as an injection specialist. Okay. On December 30th, 1938, he filed a patent for a medical device that he invented. The syringe? Mm-hmm. Okay. Pretty cool guy. Yeah. That's smart, right? Yeah. The device he designed was an attachment to a hypodermic syringe, allowing drugs to be directly injected from the sealed glass capsule. Okay. So then you would no longer have to draw up. You know how, like, nurses uh-huh. draw up, like, from a bottle? So you just insert the, the vial and then go. Yeah. Got so you. you would, like, there's mm-hmm. a connection between the actual syringe that you would use to inject and the vial so you wouldn't have to draw it up so does this like uh, in theory prevent like any extra air bubbles right so it can yeah it would contact like no contamination no spillage right that's awesome um he spent over a decade developing the device and in 1949 he entered into a verbal agreement with a gentleman also a possible friend depending on resources the sources that i looked at some referred him just as like a business business partner other referred to him as a friend of Harold. Okay. His name's... So just a handshake <laughs> agreement? Okay. Oh, yeah. No, Harold. That doesn't sound right. Mm-hmm. Okay. Edward Schustack. So this man was supposed to turn the general idea of his invention into a medical hit. So basically, Edward was supposed to kind of market it. Yeah, okay. Make it usable, get it into the hands of other people. Perelson and, so Harold and Edward, they agreed to split the profits. Harold and Lillian sunk in $24,496 into this project. Okay. 7000 of it came from Lillian's own personal savings. Today, that would be about a $260,000 investment. Mm-hmm. I was doing the math in my head from the home. Yeah. It's a lot. I was thinking it was right It's around. a big investment. Yeah, it is. Yeah. So. It's a big investment today. I mean. That's huge. Yeah, that's yeah. huge. Not a whole lot of people in this time no. have an extra two hundred sixty thousand like dollars laying around. Right. So he obviously did very well to have that mm-hmm. to invest. Yeah. As we know, handshake agreements don't usually turn out very well. So this agreement would eventually end up in court. Edward was a fraud, and he never had any intention, including how including Harold and any of the money earned from the invention. Mm-hmm. Harold sued him and demanded compensation of $100,000, which would be a little over a million dollars today. The case was long and drawn out in two years of super expensive legal processes. And in the end, the court awarded Harold a meager $24,956. So not even as much as he invested. So did it say how much they made? Or this man made from this invention? I don't know if he made anything or if his, like, profits were ever even reported. 
Hmm. It sounded like he went out of his way to to cover it all up. Okay. Like there was even, I didn't go into too much detail, but there was even a point where he was using another name, I guess. Oh, okay. So he could have been selling these on the side to who knows where and making this extra money and putting it into a different name. He might not even. So it says that this also, we don't even know if it ever actually made it to a market. So Mm -hmm. he might have just had some made. Mm Mm-hmm. To be used, or he could have been even what it sounded like, maybe trying to sell the idea. Okay. But maybe just wasn't successful in that. Yeah. Okay. It might have gotten halted. Like, it sounded like maybe Harold got wind of what was going on, Mm -hmm. and, you know. Yeah. It was kind of like you could go on a whole other tangent in that that story. But unfortunately, they lost lost a lot of money. they lost a lot of money, and that was a huge disappointment. He just chose the wrong partner. Yes. That's that's awful. That stinks. But it it gets worse. Mm. As it always does. Mm -hmm. So, more legal woes for the Perelsons. Only three years later, on November 3rd, 1957, their oldest daughter, Judy, was involved in a car accident. So, she was driving her brother and sister in her father's 1952 Oldsmobile crossing the intersection of Vermont and Los Feliz Boulevards, and she collided with another car. Judy had suffered hand and knee injuries, concussion, and she was in severe shock. Joel, the the little brother, had a head injury and severe shock to his nervous system, and I think these were terms Mm. that they used to use. Yeah, yeah. They they sound kind of... They sound a little dated. Silly. Yeah. And Deborah's cheek was sliced open. The other driver, Eleanor Keller, claimed that Judy, then 16, drove through a red light without looking. Of course, they didn't have red light cameras or any of those things, so I don't know yeah. if anyone could really say what, what right. happened. Right. Harold was very upset, and he took the Keller family to court, claiming Eleanor's carelessness and negligence caused the crash. Harold, I don't know if he was trying to make, not to be mean, but I don't know if he was trying to make a little bit of extra money, but he was a little overzealous with his demands. He demanded $20,000 in damages for each of his daughter and $10,000 for his son. Okay, yeah, wow. That's a lot for... That's a lot, yeah. Technically, no hospitalization. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's a lot. For like a fender bender is what it sounded like. He won, but the court only awarded him enough money to cover medical bills. Okay. Well, and I, th- I feel like that's fair. Sounds fair, but obviously the financial concerns, they began to build for the family. Because again, he decided that he was going to pursue this legal dispute and okay. spent a lot of money and didn't get the outcome he was wanting. So a letter was found that Judy wrote to her aunt just before the tragedy that read, My family are on the merry-go-round again. Same problems, same worries, only tenfold. My parents, so to speak, are in a bind financially. Oh. So Judy knew what was going mm-hmm. on. I don't know if her siblings did. So some also believe that the money problems had also taken a toll on Harold's health. Reports say he had a couple of coronaries, which obviously oh, yeah. is a dated term for heart attack. Yeah, yeah. And had significant stays on the coronary ward. But all during this time, Sherry, remember the babysitter across the street, she remembers seeing just towers of shoeboxes in the home because they never stopped Judy from shopping. She was also driving a sports car while in high school. So the family's spending habits weren't necessarily reflecting their financial decline. So they were just spending money like they were probably used to and didn't budget when they needed, when they they realized that... 
thing money wasn't coming in as fast as it was their going lifestyle yeah. wasn't able to stay the same no. but i don't think harold was coping with that and wasn't mm-hmm. able to maybe really the family's spending habits right and maybe maybe he felt like he would it would just be a disappointment to say you know we see it all the time yeah it's sad it is because it's a lifestyle change and mm-hmm. they're not used to that and you don't know how to disappoint them and right right all right, so on December 6th, 1959, December oh, yes. 6th. December 6th, I remember. So December 6th was the day um, the house was originally sold on. And then December 6th, 1959 is kind of the culmination of events. Uh, okay. Harold came home from work. He greeted his family. He fixed himself a drink, and he watched his wife wrap Christmas presents while they waited for dinner to be ready. So it's very, like, rockable. Isn't it Rockefeller, Rockwell? Oh, yeah, the Rockefeller. Not the... the Norman a... Rockwell painting. Yes, yes. Is that what you're yes, yes, yeah. yes. Like, very, like, she was the perfect housewife. He came home. The kids were doing the homework. Here's your nightcap. Yeah. I'm going to wrap some presents. Yes, the children yes. are all nestled in their beds. It was a very... Um, yeah. So there's a tiny bit of controversy in this area because the family was Jewish. So mm-hmm. why was she wrapping presents? Why did they have a Christmas tree? Well... They began celebrating the holiday with friends and coworkers because they loved the sense of community that the holiday brought to their family. Oh, yeah. That makes sense. So they just embraced it as a community yeah. event. So did they celebrate? Did it say that they, st- they still celebrated Hanukkah, too? Or I did they just I believe so. Okay. I believe so. I think that really the Christmas thing was just for community. Like, okay. we're going yeah. we're gonna to go to the holiday party. Yeah. I don't believe it was a religious Correct. It, it was, was just, just a community just social event. And social, yeah. Yeah. I, I get that. Uh, so they gathered for dinner. They chatted about work and school. The picture-perfect family, like mm-hmm. I said. Mm-hmm. A little TV. And then Lillian and Harold took their two youngest children, 11-year-old Debbie and 13-year-old Joel, into bed. Judy went, um, she went on to do homework in her bedroom, and Lillian read in her bed in the master. Harold returned upstairs after his wife was asleep, and he began to read his copy of Dante's Divine Comedy. Oh. I don't know much about that, but what I do know, it's very dark. I was going to say, well, and there's another one, too. What what am I thinking of? Dante's Inferno? What is yes, that? Is it like, like maybe all along those same lines? Is it like... I'm not sure. I don't know either. But when you said that, it made me think of something dark. So Yeah, it's Oof. dark. Okay. So around 4.30 a.m., Harold woke up. He went down to the kitchen into his small tool chest that he kept um, in that area, like a little fix-it, you know. Like, oh, yeah. I have one like of Like almost those. like in your junk drawer, right? Uh-huh. Where you have like a little hammer and a... Yeah, yeah. I have my own little kit that like, I think was like a housewarming gift from right. our realtor. And I was like, this is perfect. For and me. it's for me to yeah. paint like little... Little tiny things, stuff. right. So he goes into a small tool chest where he picked up a ball peen hammer. Oh. Which is not like a normal hammer. Yeah. He then went back to the master bedroom where his wife slept, very peaceful and innocent. And while Lillian lay asleep, Harold stood over her and smashed her skull with the ball peen hammer, oh. leaving an inch-wide bleeding hole. Oh, my gosh. Harold. Yeah. Why? Harold snapped. He opened the door to the ensuite bathroom, and he passed through another door that led to his eldest daughter's room, Judy. Mm. He struck her, too, without warning, over the head with the same hammer. Okay. But Judy caught just a glancing blow and let out a blood-curdling scream, and it was a scream that was heard through the neighborhood. Oh, gosh. Okay. Mm. It actually woke people up. Yeah. Harold then told Judy 
lie still, keep quiet. Oh, okay. But Judy was a badass. And she did not keep quiet and she did not lie still. But the two younger children were woken by their sister's blood curdling screams and came to find out what was going on. And then Harold, thinking that Judy was injured enough to stay put, he walked them back to their rooms and told them, go back to bed. This is just a nightmare. And then he walked away, dripping blood down through the hallway. Judy, took, oh, oh, it's I, scary, right? Yeah, it does not fit what was going on that day. So Judy then took that opportunity, being distracted by mm-hmm. the younger siblings, and she ran down the spiral skirt, staircase across the front yard to the Lewis's house. So the babysitter, the babysitter. Sherry Lewis. Yeah. So she's, of course, like I said, the babysitter, the now dentist that was interviewed. Mm-hmm. She had her friend sleeping over, Shelly, and they said when they heard the screams, at first they thought it was a wild animal. Oh, okay. Because yeah. it was just crazy. Just a feral scream, like a, yeah, yeah. And then, they, then she said she could clearly hear the voice she knew to be Judy screaming, don't kill me. So Judy ran across the yard. She ran to the Lewis's house. She was banging and screaming on the Lewis's door. Um, then she moved, she was banging on their French windows, covering them in blood. Oh. But they didn't answer the door because they were terrified. They, they didn't know what was going on. They didn't know. It was, oh, so okay. they didn't, they didn't answer. Judy went to the next neighbor's house who did open the door, Marshall Ross. He let her in. They called the police. He told her to stay there. And while the police were on their way, Marshall went to the Perelson home. Um, Upon entering, he found 11-year-old Debbie and 13-year-old Joe standing there on the first floor. So he told them to get out of the house. Oh, thank God. Then he climbs the stairs and he comes face to face with a very agitated and blood-covered Harold. So he didn't kill the children? Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. Go on home, Harold told him, according to the coroner's report. Just calm and just... Don't bother me. Oh, wow. Okay. So, and then Marshall... He watched the doctor walk into the bathroom, and Harold swallowed a cocktail of pills, which turned out to be Nebutal, which is a barbiturate, mm-hmm. a.k.a. death in a bottle. Ooh. It's a very popular suicide drug. It was even used by Judy Garland, side note. Yeah. Uh, to be certain of his fate, he then swallowed 31 small white pills, believed to be codeine or some sort of tranquilizer. Mm-hmm. Then he turned back into Judy's room, where he laid down and waited to die. Yeah, insane. So at 5.15, LAPD detectives Anderson and Pazzo arrived at the scene. It only took him 15 minutes to get there. Mm -hmm. Harold was on the floor, his head on a pillow covered in Judy's blood, and the hammer was still in his hand. He was still breathing. Uh, They were shallow breaths, and unfortunately, he died before the ambulance arrived. Not unfortunately that he died because he's an asshole, but unfortunately, he died, and we don't know what his... We don't know what happened or what what his thinking was. The police gathered the pills and laid them on a dresser in the master, where they also found a copy of Dante's The Divine Comedy on Harold's nightstand. It was open to Canto 1, which read, Midway upon the journey of our life, I found myself within a forest dark. For the straightforward pathway had been lost. So, in theory, he didn't leave a suicide note, but he did. Yeah, right, right. Oh. 
the coroner who inspected Lillian's body found that the whites of her eyes to be blood red, so she actually didn't die from blood force trauma, but she died from asphyxiation. She drowned in her own, her own blood. So it knocked her unconscious enough that she didn't she just wake suffocated. up, but she... She could, probably couldn't move. She was right. paralyzed. paralyzed. And, oh, that's just awful. So she probably, like, laid there and, like, listened to all of that go down with her family. I can't even imagine. I can't either. This oh. this one really is... This one's shaking me to my core. Like, it's... It's, it's awful. It's, well, it's like... The you just don't... Well, it's... I mean, it's everything we talk about all the time yeah. with the family annihilator, yes. right? This was in 1959. They didn't just start now. We just no. hear about them more often. We just... We do. And I know we were kind of staying away from them for a while just because we didn't... And for whatever reason, we just didn't want to go there for a while. But, oh, this is why. Oh, wow. Wow. You know. Keep going. So, yeah. Some say that Harold had finally snapped under the pressures of his finances and that, you know, we kind of talk about this with family annihilators as well, right? That, that he decided that the death of his family was preferable to living into worry or living in poverty. He yeah. couldn't provide for them. You so hear? Yeah. It's the embarrassment. There's just. It's like a male way of thinking about that. I almost, I don't want to put it in stereotypical but but right it almost feels like that's like the well he was a provider he was, he was very successful he, was he wasn't doc- gonna yeah. be the doctor that he was he right. couldn't live with that his or life his family wasn't carrying going, his shame right his life wasn't going in the direction that he yeah mm-hmm. it's i read a little bit um from a couple of psychologists that commented on this story and i didn't go into that because otherwise i'd be talking for days but it was, according to them, this is very textbook. Mm-hmm. Well, it's, right. That's kind of what I, where I was going with it. I just didn't put a psychologist spin on it. Yeah. No, <laughs> you know I'm mean, not a psychologist either, and I didn't want to go into that, because then I have to start talking about these people and their Oh, but it's so and interesting. And their credentials. I want to talk you know, about it later. When yeah. we finish our, our cocktails, so, we need to chat about what they said. It was pretty crazy. Yeah. Um, so all three children survived the murder of their mother and suicide of their father. Of course, the hero in the story is Judy. Her screams and her run for help essentially saved herself and her siblings because, yeah. you know, she was hospitalized, which nothing life-threatening. She was really just shooken up, and she did have a skull fracture. Uh, but it's completely believable that if Harold would have successfully killed Judy, he oh. would have went on to kill mm. the entire family. You know that he would have. So you know what's kind of odd to me is I was I wasn't expecting the hammer. I kind of saw some of this coming, but I was thinking he was going to use some sort of injection mm-hmm. while they were sleeping, right? Yeah, because that seems more his. It sort of surprised me that he didn't do. But that. it was very um, well, it won't be. Let me tell you this part. So Sherry, the babysitter, now Dr. Mm-hmm. Lewis, the dentist. Mm-hmm. In her interview, she had shared that her father was an attorney and that he took it upon himself to look into things a little bit, which is probably not legal now, but probably could get away with it then. I can't imagine you could get away with this now. But he he got his hands on some court records, and it came out that Harold's coronaries were not coronaries, but suicide attempts. Oh. And so we know... They comment about how it's not atypical for someone who has suicide attempts then to go after the people who they believe have created the problem. And it came out that his wife and or doctors were going to have him committed and that she had to do it at the end of a certain discrete period of time. Oh, okay. 
so that because it very conveniently so that he, he maybe he know? had an he had an exact cocktail mm-hmm. suicide cocktail yeah that he went to the bathroom and got immediately that's not normal either no he had, well he had that planned um so kind of crazy and so there's little to be found about the Parison children mm-hmm. okay they were never in the media you've never heard of them right no you've I never haven't. heard of their like story on people magazine 20 years later how mm-hmm. they overcome their tragedy no. there's there's nothing about them it's, maybe they had their names changed and they it's really so it was originally thought that Harold's family had taken guardianship of them but after some investigating they found out that there was court documents that Lillian's sister Gertrude Saland had petitioned to take over the children's compensation payments from the car accident they were in mm. so okay. she must have so them. She, she must have had yeah. them gotcha. um but yeah it's you know what though good for whoever took them in keeping them out of the spotlight because they just I'm sure they just wanted to forget and live a normal life and that's what I would want to do. I don't yeah. know that I would want that 20 year interview. No, it's but you know what I'm talking yeah. about. Like baby Jessica, like yeah. all these people just keep popping up. Yeah. Well, and you you know the other thing you hear about is the fame that they didn't want that ends up somehow being really hard to deal with. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the interview on the 5 year anniversary yeah. and this and that. So they're uh, nothing. I mean, little to nothing is known about them today. Oh, I think that's good. Yeah, good. I mean, good for them if that's what they yeah. wanted. But yeah. here's, so here's the twofold, right? Now the, the home itself mm-hmm. takes on a whole other story. Oh, okay. After the murder-suicide in 1960, the mansion was sold in a probate auction to Lincoln Heights couple Emily and Julian Enriquez. And they knew what they were getting into, right? It wasn't they never like moved a... in. Oh. Weird, right? Yeah. They never moved in. No one did. They used the home for storage. People would see them coming and going. They would bring boxes, but they never stayed. From 1960 to 1994, they never spent a night in the home. They passed away, and their son, Rudy, Enrique's inherited the home. Okay. So their neighbors had high hopes. Yeah. Right? Yeah. We're gonna, this person's going to remodel. There's going to do some renovations. They're either going to move in or rent it or sell it. But nope. The home remained frozen in time. It was essentially a crime scene time capsule. Oh my god! The house was never empty. It was never updated. The Perelson's family's furniture and decor remained exactly intact as it did that December night, including the Christmas tree. Oh my gosh! Crazy. That's nuts. I have chills when I think about it. I do too. What the hell? What is wrong with these people? That you don't know, they didn't ever say why. They never said why. Like, they asked Rudy if he thought that it was haunted, and he would say, he would just make very vague comments, like, oh, just say your prayers at night. But no, they never what? moved in. That's they creepy. never moved in. The only change that was made was by, by Rudy was that there was an addition to, like, a alarm system. But it wasn't a fancy one. It was just, like, don't come in the door. And it didn't deter much. So Rudy refused to sell. He was asked by many people to sell. Uh, and then the home became an attraction. Mm, okay, yeah. It's the Las Vegas murder house. I'm like, let's go, Tarot. Girls trip. <laughs> <laughs> we gotta drive by, get our picture taken. Oh, I, I really know, I, sick and twisted. But yeah. so homeless people were camping in the backyard. There's ghost hunters. There's even people picnicking. Picnicking. I cannot believe it. Among other things, right? Oh, people were breaking in. Yeah. 
it just these poor neighbors. The neighbors got together and they would try to like paint the front of the house because they it was in disrepair. Mm-hmm. They didn't live there. They didn't care. They owned it. I don't know why they bought it and they never moved in and no one even said anything. That's crazy. Crazy. Same stuff. They never emptied the house. Wow. The wow. people's beds, furniture. Oh. It was like a time capsule. Yeah. And is it still all there? Not now. I have more. Oh, oh okay. So Rudy Enriquez passed away in 2015 and because he had no heirs, the murder house was put up for sale the following year and the real estate agents were tasked with clearing out the house to preparing for, for purchase. Um, it finally hit the market in March of 2016, and this is the first time in over 60 years. So for 60 years, that stuff sat in there. Never touched. Never moved. That's cool. So wow. it was listed with an asking price of $2.75 million. Is that not crazy? Oh, my gosh. Even in complete disrepair. So Did somebody buy it? They did. So even... You know, after decades of neglect, of course, it's still, it's beautiful, right? Oh, Where it is yeah, and yeah. the location. And it was bought by attorney Lisa Bloom and her husband, Braden Pollock, in June 16th, or June of 2016 for $2.3 million. And they were asked about the property's dark history, and um, Bloom was quoted in saying, I don't really believe in ghosts and spooky spirits. The house didn't do anything wrong. The house is innocent. The, the couple all started remodeling. Um, they took the entire place down to studs, but they left the, the, in, the exterior intact. Oh, okay. Out of nowhere in May 2019, the house is listed again. It's listed again? It's listed again. So and they, didn't, they, they didn't, didn't move in? No, they never, they never finished it. It's still in studs. So May of 2019, it's listed again at a price tag of $3.5 million. Did they say why? They say that it's really just because of red tape. So she explained that they gave up because to have to bring the whole property up to code would ultimately, and doing what they wanted to do, would mean they'd have to like tear the house down and regrade and do all these things. So she's saying it's the perfect property for someone who wants that house gutted, but it's really better for like a developer who wants to tear it down. Mm -hmm. And as of um, October, it actually sold. At this price, October? This October, October, yeah, October 2020, um, for $2.5 million. But the, I actually have the listing because um, I'm crazy. And uh, <laughs> <That's> <laughs> so awesome. I actually have the home listing. And yeah, so it's, uh, it's just sold. It doesn't say who it's sold to, though. So I'm assuming it's someone who doesn't, doesn't want to be known. Wow, that so is that is that is cool. Los Feliz Murder House is that not crazy? Yeah. It's a crazy story. That house sat for sixty years. It, the pictures. So there actually was a photographer who blogged about her entire experience. She uh, took pictures through the windows of the house of all of the things, and you could actually still see Judy's name on her nameplate, like around her light switch. Um, oh, wow. it's the pictures are crazy that she that just, she crazy. took from not even being in the house. But a couple of fun facts for people who like things that are creepy. Uh, one of the things that was said on the you know on the internet is that there was also another death linked to this house. 
that it was a 20-year-old Hollywood writer. And then 1931, he died from a mysterious infection after playing tennis. But uh, it actually, he did not die at 2475. He died at 2457. So we must pay close attention to house numbers. And then um, one of the neighbors there, Cherie Watterson, she had told the Times that a friend of hers one night tried to explore the mansion, so she tried to break in, which a lot of people oh, yeah, I'm sure. yeah. broke into the house. So she snuck in through a back door, but she didn't get far before the burglar alarm sounded, and then her hand was throbbing painfully, and she had been bitten by a black widow. <gasps> she had a red streak going up her arm. She had to go to the doctor to get treated, and then... Uh, she said that two nights later, the alarm kept going on, going off at her house. Like nobody, but nobody was there. It was like a ghost was following her. That is creepy. Yeah. So there's a lot of, I mean, I could go on and on about all these like weird stories that happened to people Uh that tried to visit there. Okay. So I love all that stuff because I still remember when we went to go visit the LaLaurie house in, in New Orleans and we were, they were like, don't cross the street, don't walk in front of it. And they would tell us all the stories of the things that supposedly happened to people just, just going by to, to look at it. Mm-hmm. So I can imagine. Yeah. That's cool. Like, yeah. I, like it's cool and creepy and like, it's sad the same time, and it's but... weird, but it's creepy and it, we like our mysterious hauntings, mm-hmm. which I guess is a little bit more of. But that's what I mean. Just that it has like that. That extra haunting story. I mean, hopefully she was okay after getting bitten. I'm sure she, you know. Yeah. And unfortunately for... A black widow? I mean, are they even common in that area? I don't know. It's so crazy. The whole thing. And it's really... um, I guess it's kind of sad. I mean, it's not kind of sad. It's very sad. But that, obviously, Harold was having issues and wasn't getting the help that he needed. Yeah. Well, I mean, and they were, they were sweeping it they were under the rug. Hiding it. Yeah. So we know, obviously, today that's much more, we're striving for more social acceptance in that area. And Absolutely. if you need help and things aren't right, yeah. you don't have to hide it. Yeah. Talk so, to somebody, get that help, that mental, you know, it's it's nothing to be ashamed of to go talk to, to people. I feel like it's just, you're right, it's more acceptable these days, but back, back then. Well, especially him. He was powerful and successful mm-hmm. and he was smart and brilliant and he was... Yeah surgeon at all these major hospitals for mm-hmm. someone like that to come out and say that they were having mental health issues wasn't accept. I don't even know if that would be acceptable now well he'd probably lose his job yeah he so would they don't, lose that's his why job. people don't get that's help. why yeah yeah because I mean unfortunately there's consequences but all right well I have a couple other fun facts just to lighten the mood um, we need it. <laughs> I know. So, well, I don't know how fun they are because they're still about the murder house. But so the Los Feliz murder house, its address is 2475 Glendower Place mm-hmm. in Los Feliz. So there's a couple other famous houses in that area, Hollywood famous houses. So um, the Frank Lloyd Wright designed Anna's house from House on Haunted Hill mm-hmm. is on uh, 2607 Glendower Avenue. So Ooh. it's right there. Okay. And then I, did you see the, the doppelganger? I didn't see that. I believe it's with, um. No, I don't, I don't think I saw that. Drew Barrymore. I didn't see that, but that's at 2421 Glendower Avenue. And then the movie, um, Eye for an Eye. Oh yeah, I saw that one. Um, that house is at 2757 Glendower Avenue. Like wow. all these houses, right? Yeah. And then. 
Donna Martin, Tori Spelling, yeah. her residence from the first season of Beverly Hills, 90210, is at 2405 Glendower Avenue. Wow. So they must use the, the houses on the street quite a bit. For, yeah. And then yeah. even um, the Griswolds family home from National Lampoon's uh, oh, really? Christmas Vacation is around the corner at 2310 North Vermont Avenue. So if we ever oh. wanted to make a trip out of this, we could see lots of famous houses. Yeah. Oh, All in a fun. very, very short time. All very close. We'll put that on our bucket list with all the rest of the things we want to see and do. <laughs> I love it. Just add that. When we can ever leave our house. Well, you know me. I like the fun facts and the trivia and yeah, the extra. Yeah, I thought. Yeah. something to lighten it up. I'm sorry. That was a heavy story. but And obviously I chose it because it was around Christmas time. Yeah. Okay. Well, I really appreciated your story. I, that was a new one for me. I hadn't heard that one. So I Yay. just love it. When, yeah. I like when new one. Or when you haven't heard them before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I do remember when I was scrolling through, though, seeing a picture, and now I'm curious to see the pictures of this house, because I remember seeing, like, a picture of a house, that, and it, the caption below kind of caught my eye because it said it was bought, but it was only used as a storage shed and for cats or something, and I was like, what? I never read the whole story, but I wonder if it's I bet the it's same I bet house. It. It's actually a really pretty house. It was something I saw on Reddit. It was white. Well, yeah, it's a Spanish style house, yeah, so it's, yeah. they're all white. I just, I can't wait to yeah. see it. I wonder if it's the same one, because I, I can remember. I was just looking at it last when week. We, when we're done, I'll show you the yeah. listing. You can look over. So. Check out the school district. That, yeah. Right. <laughs> we'll see what's going on over there. <laughs> Pull our resources and buy the house. <laughs> yeah. We can start our own, like, people could come and visit, and we could make it an experience yeah. out of it. I guess when we better get over. merch figured out so that we can <laughs> we can save up. <laughs> oh, but we have a we have a kind of a cool flip the script today too, right? Yeah, like a, a fun one. Exciting one. Yeah, we're uh we're gonna turn this dumpster fire around. <laughs> we are. We're gonna get healthy and fit while we're stuck in our houses. You and I get to continue our spin classes from home. Yeah. So uh, yay for us. We were uh, our husbands gifted us. Uh, Pelotons for Christmas. Yay! I know. I feel like we should have some aviation gin and cheers to that one. (laughs) I've been uh, only talking about it for... Oh, months and months and months. Oh, God. Well, I mean, if you ask Steve, I've been talking about it for years and years (laughs) and years. But he's been able to keep me quiet by me getting to the gym on occasion for spin classes. But I tortured him with 5.30... (laughs) a.m. spin classes on Sundays when we met he had to have loved me because I don't know anyone else who would have done that you were like no coffee for you and let's go to spin yes I oh it was so bad we would leave parties and I'd be like we have to go now we have spin class in the morning and he would listen (laughs) that's love that's insane that's That's true love love. that's true love and he would go go and he now when I was like are you gonna use the bike he said I never really enjoyed it so um clearly he went (laughs) only for my company (laughs) oh <laughs> that's awesome but i'm though. hoping he loves it i'm hoping you yeah know, the maybe he'll jump on it i don't i know i'll use the hell out of it yeah i'm super excited i'm excited we can actually coordinate and be like but i, I love you enough to go to 5 30 spin classes like we used to yeah but I'll if suck. you try to get me on the bike at 5 30 uh, yeah. <laughs> we'll see you know me i'm not a morning person no but maybe like seven ish <laughs> I'll roll out of bed. I know. Okay. okay. Maybe on the weekends. I have to work out early because I have to go to work in the morning. And 
the kids start school really early, so I don't, I can't do seven. That's, you know, unfortunately our days just start a lot earlier. I might have to shift my schedule because this is important. We got to figure this out. It'd be really fun to do it Stella together. Stella walks on at seven. Yeah, I right. have to be done. You're right. Like, it doesn't, it doesn't. We're work. in, like, homeschool routine mode. Like, we literally don't start school till like, 9, 9.30. Yeah. Oh, these kids need to get their asses back to school. All they of do. them. Your kids, All of my them. kids, everyone needs to go back to school. It's crazy how bad we need it. I mean, they really do need a separate teacher other than their mom. Like, it's, it's rough. I mean, it's just, it just is. I mean, I could sit here and be like, homeschool is amazing. And there are aspects of it that are good, I will say. You know, like seeing what they're learning and, and being a part of it some days is, is really rewarding and awesome. But let's get down to the seriousness of the fact that they just need a teacher. They need a separate teacher and they need to be able to come home to mom and I need like a well, minute. Well, they need to leave. Like a minute. Like I have no downtime. Zero. I'm always, I'm either teaching, I'm mom, I'm, you yeah, know, I have yeah, like all these yeah. hats that I'm wearing and it's crazy. Mm-hmm. They all just need to go back to school. (laughs) COVID needs to go away. Amen. Amen to that. So, mine arrives. I have my countdown January 25th. February 3rd. I hope I get a surprise. Cheers to that. early. Cheers. Our little cranberry vodka drinks today. Cheers, cheers. So, merry, merry to all of you. Um, Hopefully you get all your... Is that a thing? Merry, merry? Did I just say that? Now it's a thing. Merry, merry to all of you. Um, all of you and everything. All of you and everything. I'll celebrate it all. Yeah. All the holiday stuff. Everything. Christmas, Hanukkah, all Kwanzaa. Of Diwali, every, everyone out there. <laughs> and all of your things. We love you all. We we hope you're celebrating. We hope you, you have some fun decorations up. Get that Christmas armadillo costume so you can talk to your children like Ross did. You're so funny. <laughs> I'll cut that out. <laughs> Until next time, everybody stay safe, stay healthy, and we hope you can leave your house soon. Yeah. Amen to that. Bye. Bye.